You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? It's Anthony Cazenza and John Sheeran, the dynamic duo of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network, coming at you at a special day, special time, because it's a special week, John Sheeran. The NFL draft is upon us just a couple of days away in Las Vegas, Nevada. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good, man. I got, got a tan over the weekend, but I think it's not going to be anything compared to what you're going I think you're going to get a little more sun than me this weekend, though. Well, maybe we'll see. And uh, I've, as some of you may know, some of you may not know, uh, it was kind of a late. We had we had media credentials as a show and as a website. Did Cincy Jungle, SB Nation, etc. for the NFL draft. Uh, you know, unfortunately, just the way life is for me and others, that uh, we were not sure if I, we were going to make it work, that we were going to get out there and do all the things that they, uh, you know, have have been allowing us to do and late last night got it figured out and so we're going to try and do some different things out in the las vegas area talk to some prospects hopefully we'll be in the media room for night one and then do some other different things uh throughout the throughout the weekend there but um pretty excited about it not really sure what to expect i don't want to over promise and under deliver john but we've got some access to some things and uh on site out there and we'll we'll be sharing that on the show and on the website for sure yeah. So, do you know if they're still doing like the original plan from uh, the when the, it was supposed to be in the 2020 draft, where they're like boating these these guys out on like the Bellagio, or is it just going to be like low key? You know, I don't I don't know for sure. My understanding is that's going to be part of kind of the red carpet deal. Um, they're mm-hmm. going to do that with some of the prospects there as kind of the the Vegas showboat type of thing. Uh, that's so it's not going to be like uh, you know the the initial you know part of the the calling you know when some, when a card is red. I don't think it's going to do that. Um, I will, I, there's like a media room, I think. And then as, as picks are made and these guys who are on site, as they get selected, they'll be made available to the media. So hopefully one of the guys, the Bengals pick just selfishly speaking is there. We'll get to maybe get in on the press conference while we're there. The tomorrow, uh, there are some on-site things with a few of the national draft experts, Daniel Jeremiah, Charles Davis, Joel Klatt, um, were scheduled to be in attendance for that and maybe ask a couple questions there. And then some other prospects will be made available because they are doing a fun little event uh, adjacent to where the draft site is. So we'll try and get in touch with some of some interesting names that are on site there, maybe try and get some interviews and or press conferences there. So just trying to line things up again. I don't want to over promise under deliver never done this before, but pretty excited about it. And, you know, we got some good sound bites from the Super Bowl and other things. So hopefully we'll be able to do that again this week. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, the Bengals probably are going to pick until midnight over here. So, like, you know, 10, 9-ish on your time. 
And if they're voting these guys out, like every, after every single <laughs> pick, it might take it like eight hours. So, you know, I, I'm excited for you, man. Um, hope, hope we're going to get some good content because you usually pull through with that. So um, I'm very excited. I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how much, uh, you know, true Vegas time I'll get. I think a little bit. I've already contacted Bengal Jim Foster, who's going to be out there as well. So we'll probably uh, connect out there, which is kind of cool. So I'm excited about that. And maybe some others I haven't had the chance to reach out to many, many others because I just finalized the trip plans literally last night. And like I said, hopefully something cool comes out of it and uh, we'll get you some cool content for the show and on the website there. But also I know this time of year, Cincy Jungle headed by John and Jason Markham, they kick some AWS when it comes to draft coverage, immediate reactions, immediate announcement of picks and all kinds of different things. So not only will we have a lot of cool stuff on this show, hopefully for you, but also the website's going to have plenty, plenty of content at cincyjungle.com. So you got to keep it there for sure. We've got a lot on tap tonight. I know uh, the reason we went tonight is be- and a little earlier because I'm leaving tonight. So <laughs> uh, we're, we're getting this in right now. And we've got a state your case. We haven't done one of those in a little while. We, we were going to do a prospect profile where we're kind of going to do a mock draft slash mini profiles of a lot of different guys, some of which we may have done already. We don't really know how this is going to go. We did the simulator last time. Weren't really totally jazzed about how everything sorted out that time. So we're going to kind of do it a little bit different this time around for our final mock draft here. And we'll see how far we get with it uh, in terms of rounds to be determined. And we'll get to some some news as well. And then, of course, just you know, get you some other content as the week rolls on from the draft. So, uh, John, where should we begin in terms of news? Do you want to talk about some comments made by Zach Taylor first or Duke Tobin uh, in one of their final pre-draft press conferences? So I think Tobin went first on Friday and he's chronologically. He's let's do it. Yeah, he's yeah, he's doing the um, he's the man running the show. I think Taylor said, yeah, it's Duke's room. I just. I'm told where to sit. So let's, let's go Duke first. Okay. I, I like that quote, by the way. I mean, it's just, it's, it's <laughs> kind of a night. It's a nicer way of it's his world. We're just living in it. Right. Um, so you had written up uh, and, I'm, and I'll pin this on, uh, I'll, I'll post this on the video here so we can look at it on cincyjungle.com. The most interesting things Duke Tobin said in his pre draft press conference, um, obviously talking about positions. And by the way, I think this was the infamous and uh, hilarious press conference wherein our buddy James Rapine um, asked him the the now infamous safety question. How do you how do you view the safeties in this class? Is this is this the same? <laughs> is this the same press conference that that happened at? It, it is the same presser. Yes. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, go check out James Rapine's um, Twitter account. It was pretty, pretty funny exchange there. Uh, and, and they had some fun with it. So that was pretty funny, but this is, this is not so much. It seems about immediate needs coming up here this weekend, John, it is quite a bit about the future and not just, Hey, let's, let's try and get these guys some good playing time this year. It's also a bit about, you know, who's going to be under contract next year. Who's not going to be under contract next year, potentially who, We'll be here for the next couple of years. We have big contracts coming up at some premium positions with premium players, and we got to sort all this out. So let's start with kind of the forward thinking with Duke Tobin in this press conference here. Yeah, I think that there's a balance to be played here because ideally your your first pick, and this is something I think Taylor said too, is a guy that you know plays a decent amount early just because 
you pick him with a first round pick. He's one of your top players in this class that you graded and whatnot. Like ideally he makes some sort of impact, but at the same time, this roster in itself is pretty much set. There's not a lot of openings for guys to play immediately. And that just comes with the territory of having a team that went to the Super Bowl. You want continuity. So there aren't a lot of openings for rookies to come in and play immediately. And I think that is more like what he was trying to say. Now, a guy that's picked at 31, ideally, he's he's competing for a starting job or he's competing for significant snaps. And I think that player will ultimately end up being in that position to do so. But as the draft continues and you're in the second, third and fourth round, you know, the, the odds of you finding an immediate contributor are minimal or they decrease as you deviate away from the first round. So then you start thinking about positions that are, you know, highly valuable to you in the sense of, you know, what gets paid and whatnot. And you have to think about the overall state of your roster and what positions that you want to develop young talent so that in the future, when you have roster turnover, you already have guys who are on the on the team that have been developing within the system and are prepared to take over, and I think that's I think that's kind of what he was saying. What are you saying here? Like the team in itself is set, but there's going to be guys that are competing, and they're not really in a position to to really force any one position early in the draft. Yeah, the quote I don't I don't view us as having immediate starter needs. It will be up to the players and how they compete as to whether they play, how much they play, and whether they become starters this year or next year. We're pretty flexible to taking guys for the future if that's what has to happen. When you look at kind of the two facets of that, John, what positions immediately strike you, even though he didn't mention them? What positions do you that come to your mind? We talk about maybe the top five positions of need as the Bengals sit here after free agency. What what kind of positions pop in your mind when you read that quote? And if you're trying to think like Duke Tobin here. Yeah, like I'm cornerback, obviously. And not only for the immediate, but for the long term as well. They only have Eli Apple for another year. Should be Woozy is only under contract for two years. Like I think he said in itself, you don't have to be like a rocket science. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to tell that we need more players at that position. Defensive tackle, they have no one behind BJ Hill. They have no one to play beside him. Those are the two biggest needs that everyone can see. You have tight end in terms of needing long term stability there. You need probably a guy that can compete with Jackson Carmen if if Deontay Smith is focusing more on tackle and then you got safety. You don't really have anyone behind Bell or Bates. Both those guys are on the contract for only one more year. They typically like to have a third guy to play a few hundred snaps and that could be a rookie this year. So those seem to still be the top five needs. And then you got receiver. That's probably more of the long-term needs. That's probably more of them looking towards the future, not just, you know, if Higgins or Chase, you know, when they're going to get paid and whatnot, but you also need depth behind them in case something happens there. So I think the top needs are, are pretty set. They're pretty obvious. And pe- I think most people, including us, can can pinpoint where they are. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the foresight was safety. We kind of talked about that. So that's um, that's something here. Now, the, the offensive line, and we've talked about this so many times, the the flexibility, the versatility gene of of uh, all kinds of different different things. But um you can see here Ted Karras was introduced as the new team center. We know that. Uh, and then Trey Hopkins was released after that announcement. But um, and, and then you can see here Frank and Zach will decide where he goes, Tobin said about Karras. But we know he can play center and be a very effective center. We also know he can play left guard or right guard. It gives us flexibility, but that will be decided by the coaching staff. And we'll see who's all in the building at that time. Potentially Tyler Linderbaum comes into play here with that 
leaving of the door open as well as, you know, a guy, maybe another guy, uh, Dylan Parham and, and, and whatnot on Memphis. But I, I don't know. Is that just when you see that quote, do you, does your mind immediately, I mean, you, you wrote it here. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Does your mind just go to, to Linderbaum here, potentially at pick number 31? A lot of questions in terms of the measurables. Basically, no questions when you look at the tape. Well, yeah, like I just I, I'm not under the impression that Linderbaum is one of their very top picks at 31 right now. And I read that quote and I think, OK, if they're not committing, if Duke Tobin, the guy who's in charge of the roster, is not 100 percent committing Karras to center, that's either him recognizing that Karras has that versatility and they have options there, or it just means that they're not fully done looking at that position. Linderbaum makes the most sense because he's the cons- the consensus top center is the only one that has a chance to go in the first round, but it's not a guarantee that he goes in the first round. And I think it goes a little bit beyond Linderbaum too. Like you mentioned Dylan Parham, who um, play, uh, I think played guard at Memphis, but also played center at the senior bowl. Mm-hmm. Cam Jurgens is another guy that we haven't really talked yeah. about that much, but he's projected to go sometime in day two. He might have to be picked with that 63rd pick, but Importantly here, I think he worked a lot with Paul Alexander in the offseason, and and he's a guy that Alexander has praised in in this process, and obviously they value what Paul Alexander says about offensive linemen. He's from Nebraska, so there's a Zach Taylor connection there. Zach Taylor hasn't drafted a Nebraska player. He signed Stanley Morgan as an undrafted free agent in 2019, and Morgan has stuck around, but he hasn't got to use those those Nebraska ties just yet. It could be Cam Juergens, so I I, I think I read that, and and I think to myself that you know, there could definitely be an offensive lineman drafted kind of early. It's just, we, we don't really know. It's just, I think Duke just is just playing poker here and he's pretty good at it. And this is that BPA strategy that they like to use. And, um, you know, obviously again, they've got, they like to get interior offensive linemen that can play multiple spots or that very, very valuable tackle slash guard versatility that they like to, to look for in certain players. Before we move on to some comments about, Zach Taylor, um, I mean, it, we, you talk about special teams there and all of that. But again, I think here, uh, finding, you, you write, finding the right safety. Quote, versatility in the safety area is one of the big traits that we look for because we're multiple in how we play those guys. We want multiple traits in them when we bring them in the building. I can't predict what's going to happen in front of us in any round. But yeah, it's a decent safety draft for sure. Now, what, what sticks out to me, of course, you've got the fluid contract situation with Jesse Bates. You've got Von Bell entering the final year of his deal, which seemingly has gone by very, very fast. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, wow, he's, you know. Uh, But then you also lost a Ricardo Allen, right? A guy that they like to move around a little bit um, and and be that versatile defensive back, you know, kind of had the cornerback size, but did a lot of safety role type of situations. So uh, give us your take a little bit on that that quote. I kind of think just for me, when I look at it, that Ricardo Allen retirement kind of sticks out a little bit when you talk about safety versatility. Mm-hmm. I think when I see that, I think to myself that they're not like specifically looking for a potential Jesse Bates replacement. I think they're still operating under the assumption that they can get something done or they're going to continue trying to get something done. And if they pick who they believe is like a true free safety, like Bates was a true free safety coming out of, of uh, Wake Forest a few years ago. Like, it, mm-hmm. like, like there are a few guys in this class that kind of fit that description, but I read that quote and I think maybe they want a guy that can either play free or strong, play more split safety looks instead of being a true cover one or cover three type of deep safety there. So, I mean, it makes sense though. Like 
I feel like versatility is just a thing that they value all over the roster. Like the more you can do, the more valuable you are. And I think that also applies here. Just a guy that can play in the block that can play in the box, excuse me, can play some, some two deep shells and whatnot. And I think that is more along the lines of what we would look for in expecting a safety this year. And it might not come within the first couple of rounds. It might come sometime maybe early day three, but it's a, a guy that I think has experience playing multiple roles in, in college and can play multiple roles in the NFL. I think that's more on the radar. I, I'm, I'm with you there. And they, this is something that's kind of been, New under Zach Taylor and especially Lou Anarumo, it it really took some time to stick and to work with the Bengals. In Marvin Lewis, it was a very classic defense. There wasn't a lot of uh, differing looks. I mean, they would maybe go to a 3-4 every once in a while, but it was a lot of traditional 4-3. And we know now that Lou Anarumo has done all kinds of different things. And, you know, the, the players that they draft, they want them doing multiple things or have the ability to potentially do multiple things, whether it's on the defensive line or in this, in the secondary at the safety position, they like them to be able to do different things. Whereas in the Marvin Lewis era, there was a very classic, this is who you are. This is your role. This is your fit in this specific defensive, traditional defensive scheme. Just not really the case so much anymore today with Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo. And I don't think it should be the case anywhere in the NFL, right? Offenses are evolving so quickly that you need a defense that, can deploy multiple looks and counter everything that you see. So I think you have a great point there. Like it took a while for the personnel to mesh with what Anaruma's vision was. And that's why it looks so God awful in the first couple of years because he just didn't have the players to do what he wanted. But now that he has that personnel, I mean, he, he should, they spent $200 million on it. Like now right. I've kind of seen the fruits of, of that labor, but now you have a defense that can match up with some of the best offenses in the NFL. And we just, we just saw that in this past postseason. So let's move on to some of the most interesting things yet again by you, Sage John Sheeran. Uh, The most interesting thing Zach Taylor said in his pre-draft press conference, aside from the tongue-in-cheek comment of it's Duke Tobin's world, we just live in it type of thing. Uh, You see the pool of options at 31. We're going to coattail this with another article that came up on Cincy Jungle via Albert Breer of SI. We won't spend a ton of time on that, but it is something worth – worth noting but when you see here the pool of options at 31 quote i'd say it's probably a bigger range than five players to be honest with you but we were in this situation two years ago t higgins at 33 you're playing the same game you're playing now at 31 trying to predict and do our own exercises to see who could be there at 33 it's going to be a decent range of players i would imagine and that definitely rings true this is one of those spots where you can kind of you know some folks say you get great, you know, some of the pundits say you get great value out of your pick because, oh, that you know, this was going to be a guy who was supposed to go in the, you know, top 15, top 16 picks and you get him at the back of the first or what have you. Or because you're essentially in the second round, some people feel that you may reach for a player depending on how and whom the Bengals, you know, how the Bengals end up going and whom they end up picking. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's a wide variety based on, what they did in free agency, the quotes by Duke Tobin and the contract situations of the team uh, in their roster. I think there's a variety of options here. And that's kind of what Zach's saying. Yeah, I think the two takeaways here are number one. I just think it's fascinating how teams prepare um, for when they're on the clock, like like what situations they've gone over in their head or over together. Like if these players are gone, like these are the players we're going to target. And I think that that leads to like the belief that it, it never really is a best player available situation. Like that's what 
they preach. That's what other teams preach. Like we always want to draft the best guy available. It's really just the best group of players available and probably in the same tier. And then you go off of like, okay, what position matters the most? You know, are, are these guys going to play early? Are these like, there's a bunch of different variables that you can start separating other players in the same tier. I think that's where you get a pool of options available at whatever juncture you're talking about with 31. Like he said, it's similar to the T Higgins pick and maybe they had T Higgins as their very best player available. They had a first round grade on him, but he was also playing a position that they could have needed that year in, in long term. So I think that might've been like a tiebreaker there. And we could see that this year with like a cornerback or a defensive tackle. If there's, if there's not a cornerback that they like there, it's never truly this guy's at the very top of our board. We're going to take him unless he's so far ahead of the other options in what he's term the demon, the term pool, right? If like, if there's a truly best player available, then they're, they're forced to pick him because it would be malpractice not to do so. But in their exercises, when, you know, they assume that all these really good players are gone, there's an assumed group or pool of players available. And then they go through the process of deciding which one guy out of that group do they want. So moving down the line here, uh, the trading back and selfishly speaking, I hope the Bengals do not trade back out of 31 based on where I will be sitting because <laughs> uh, I, then I, you know, my seat the first night will be um, a little more boring than it would, <laughs> than it would be if they, if they didn't do that. But I understand if the board falls a certain way, but I also think this, this quote here may seem a little bit more like trading back second round and beyond potentially not so much in the first round. You see, uh, quote, probably a combination of both talking about play, uh, remaining players mattering and compensation for moving back from the spot. Ultimately, we got to expect to pick what whatever number we are picking at. I think that's where the experience upstairs really comes into play. The number of drafts Mike Brown, Duke Tobin, everyone's been involved in and the experience they have trading when for what value, why way more so than I bring to the table. So that's a fun process to be involved in for me to watch them work with the patients and the calmness is similar to what we have to do in games. This is their game. I think the experience really pays off in those moments. I, When you look back, I'm trying to remember, John, and I, I should have done a little bit better homework here, but they traded back in the second round last year, Jackson Carmen, right, mm -hmm. um, to get more picks. I, I, They did that, I believe, in Taylor's first class for sample. Did they yep. not trade back? Yeah. So, uh, and then you go back, I think it was maybe even the year before, I'm trying to remember, but... They did with Bates was, in 2018. Okay, yeah, that was that was the one. And then there was, um, you know, that might have been the, the last one that I was thinking they, of. They there. did so, it with I mean, Nixon as well in 2017. That's the one, yes, thank you. So, um, where there was a slew of offensive, interior offensive linemen or tackles guy that were there and they moved back and then all of a sudden they all went on a run and lost all of them. <laughs> um, so... I, you know, I don't I don't necessarily see it happening in the first round unless their board just absolutely falls apart. Um, but I could see this being something on night two that they really look hard at potentially to get another pick late in night two or, you know, potentially, you know, as they usually do collect those fourth rounders and whatnot. Yeah, I think it just comes down to two things like he, he talked about the, that pool of options. Like if it's big enough, if you have six seven eight guys that you feel comfortable taking the 31 and you're offered to move back four or five spots then i feel like that's a no-brainer in their mind like if they get just a couple extra picks later in the draft and then they still get to pick a guy that they're comfortable with at the original spot like that's the whole 
reason why they they do this if if they feel like there's a guy they feel like they can get or just several guys they feel like they can get a couple spots later then they always take the compensation they always take the extra picks they'll always end up with more picks it or, or the same amount of picks they'll never end up with less picks in, in a draft than, than what they're originally scheduled for so i feel like like the the pool of options comes into play here if it really is as big as we can imagine it being or if, if that's the way the board goes then that is definitely a possibility, but there also has to be someone that calls and we don't know obviously how the first 30 picks are going to go. There's reports about this late run on quarterbacks at the, at the very end of, of round one. You could have a guy like uh, Matt Corral or ma- maybe mm-hmm. a, a Sam Howe or maybe a Desmond Ritter who falls that far and a, and a team wants to trade back up just to get one more year of roster control. But that does that doesn't really happen that often. And specifically with this class of quarterbacks, it kind of seems like they're not really thought of very highly. So I, I don't know what the likelihood is, but I can't imagine it's it's very high. But there has to be some players available at 31 that teams want at the top of the second round. They want to go back into the first round. And I don't really have a lot of confidence that the Bengals are going to get that opportunity, to be honest with you. No. Uh, and then uh, I love this one, the, how you titled this one, a non-answer that was very much an answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I saying that this is, and this is now becoming a new topic in draft chatter, which is a dra- you know, age when players are drafted. It used to be just, Hey, you know, if they were a senior and they had good tape for a year or two, you know, you look at that, maybe the one year wonder status was something that would concern you for some of these players, but you know, you kind of say, hey, this player is who he is on film or he's not, or this player didn't show this on the film, but really worked out well or vice versa. But now the age is really becoming a conversation topic, at least a lot more than it used to be in my experience. And now when you have these guys, you know, uh, Devontae Wyatt immediately springs to mind here. I think he's he just turned 24, correct? Yep. Um, so he's up there in age as compared to, you know, some of these guys were, we just talked about uh, Otito Abonia last week not the same defensive tackle position per se, but Abonia 21 going to be 22 in the season, as opposed to Wyatt who just turned 24, you know, that, that makes clubs pause and think a little bit. And so when you see some of these guys, 24, 25 years old, uh, Taylor says, I think that's hard to say was the quote. I couldn't tell you all the players you talk about in the top 100, what their ages are. That certainly comes up, but I couldn't tell you if it's overall an older group than it was in the past. Where there's older, uh, where there's older players that are shifted, maybe they came back because they weren't top picks and they end up in the sixth or seventh round. I couldn't tell you that. I love the translation. It hasn't affected the top of the draft, but there could be more older guys drafted late. Is kind of the translation, or at least one that you took there. It seems, and, and I think maybe that's just what it is. Maybe it's more of a t- conversation topic because of COVID. At the, you know, and that's why it's really been talked about a bit more the past couple of years at least to my noticing but i mean it's something to factor for sure that that was why the question was brought up because this past year in in 2021 is when you had a lot of super seniors quote unquote play like their fifth or sixth years in college because they had another year of eligibility because covid took away uh, 2020 for a lot of them so that's why you have an influx of just players overall like i think there was a quote from a general manager, someone that said like there's 700 players who could get who could get drafted this year compared to like 500 last year, just because there's more in just the pool of available players. And a lot of them are 23, 24, 25, because they just had their fifth or sixth years of college. And what Taylor said is that basically in the top 100, like the young guys are still going to get picked. And very rarely are you going to see 
those super seniors go that high in the first three rounds. So it's really going to affect the back half of the draft is what he was saying. And for the Bengals, it does matter a lot. Some of their best picks, most of their best picks have been 21, 22 year old prospects, because just think about it logically guys who entered the NFL at early ages already proved themselves as underclassmen in college. So that either means that a, they're really good at a really young age. So they're at the same level as guys who are two or three years older than them. So they have a, a, longer elongated prime in the NFL because they're coming at, at an earlier age or they're more moldable from a coach's eyes because they're still young and there's still more that they can do and they're but they're already at a high level that's why the very best players in the draft are typically 21 22 sometimes 20 years old because they're that good at that age like Jesse Bates Joe Mixon Jamar Chase T Higgins just a handful of guys who were 21 not even 22 when they were drafted Evan McPherson was 21 I think Joe Burrow was 23 Logan Wilson was 23 so there are obviously exceptions to the rule but I think the Bengals are in one of the top 10 teams and drafting young in just the past four or five years and I feel like that's been a trend for as long as Duke Tobin has been here so we're gonna keep this rolling before we do a state your case our mock draft and a remember when before we get on out of here and with that comes some rumblings that the Bengals uh, there's some draft buzz, if you will, that they may go a familiar route in the NFL draft with their first round pick at number 31 overall. I will put this up on this is on uh, cincyjungle.com as well. But saying corner or offensive line with the 31st pick is the word here. Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated wrote, quote, the Bengals have done their homework on corners and a number of the big school type Cincinnati likes could be available in this range. Kyler Gordon, Florida's Kyir Elam, and Clemson's Andrew Booth being potential options. But I wouldn't rule out the team doubling down again on the offensive line, even after bringing in Alex Kappa and Lael Collins, especially if someone like Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum is there. Doing a little bit of rough homework, and I think my math is correct here, John, in the last two coaching regimes, being uh, Marvin Lewis and Zach Taylor, I believe that's 19 total drafts. Nine of 19 drafts went either cornerback or offensive line with <laughs> their first round pick. That's just just under 50%. Five cornerbacks and four offensive linemen. Three of the four <laughs> offensive linemen were tackles. Um, you had Andre Smith, Cedric Abwehi. You know, the list goes on and on. Then, of course, you had Billy Price, the outlier in the interior offensive. Jonah Williams was the other one, of course. Um, so, anyway, they go there often. They go to that well often in terms of the, the, the positional well of cornerback and offensive linemen. So, it's not really a reach here, but it's a little bit of a reach because of what the Bengals did in free agency, getting three new starters on the offensive line. So, you'd still say, wow, I mean, is that – that where they really go back there immediately at 31, but that's the most recent buzz here. Yeah, I, I just think that, I mean, logically it makes sense because that's just been the word since for agency, just looking at the roster. Like, again, like anyone can see that they need corners. Um, it, it's interesting like that you said you, when you combine Marvin and Zach's uh, drafts here, uh, Zach Taylor's only drafted one cornerback and it was Jordan Brown. It was a seventh round pick in the 2019 class. He's not drafted the cornerback since then. Um, you got to kind of have to figure that the the, the scales are going to tip in the opposite direction this year, just naturally. And I think Dave Lapham said it best um, in in his podcast with Dan Horde that came out today. So Dan, or excuse me, Dave Lapham made his prediction and he predicted either Andrew Booth or Kyer Elam um, as the 
likely options at 31 if no one crazy fell or they don't trade back. And again, that that, that makes sense. Booth and Elam are both listed by Albert Breer. They went to big schools. They're young. They were productive there. They're already pretty good cornerbacks. So yeah, like I think Linderbaum is just the biggest variable here. We don't know truly what they think of him. I Again, I get the impression that he wouldn't be their first choice over those cornerbacks just because they value cornerbacks very well. But what Lapham said was that just in the past two years or three years under Zach Taylor, when they've gone one way in free agency, they go the other way in the draft. They've gone defense heavy in free agency the past two years. Then they went offensive heavy in the draft those two years. They went offensive heavy this year. It's time for the defense. And honestly, like it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And at, at some point, you got to reward Anna Rumo and those defensive coaches some premium talent on, on the younger side. I think I think they've kind of earned it at this point. Yeah. Uh, so interesting there. And the Bengals have shown a lot of interest in a lot of different defensive backs and a lot of different offensive linemen and pre-draft visits and all that kind of stuff. So we'll have to see exactly where they end up going there. But the buzz is it's likely going to be cornerback or offensive line. You heard John talk about what Dave Lapham, who usually is is kind of pretty accurate this time of year when it when it comes to the the podcast predictions the day or two before a draft he's usually pretty i will will say though for for dave because he did say and i believe Derek davis is saying in the comment section he did say that like trade back would be like the ideal option but again like no one can possibly predict that just like i guess no one can predict how the first 30 are going to go but obviously lapham like knows like what they want or has a good sense of what they want and Booth and Elam obviously make a ton of sense there. So they've they've been consistently linked with the team just based off of where they're expected to be drafted, all everything about them. And yeah, it, it wasn't too surprising. And it's not always surprising when Lapham says it, but I don't know. Like it's 30 picks that they have to deal with. So a lot of things can happen. Yeah. And interestingly enough, no one's talking about moving up. So uh that doesn't seem to be in the cards there for the Bengals. Um and really I don't I don't think that's really part of what they'll want to do in the first round anyway. So, uh, and then normally we know that that's not the norm. Usually if they do move up, it's yeah. kind of later in the draft and it's very infrequent. So that is uh, some of the latest headlines. We spent a lot of time on that, but it's worth kind of teeing up some things in terms of the mock draft, state your case and all kinds of different things. So we're going to get to the state your case next. John's got some, some gold here. He wants to share with us before we do just want to remind folks to get this show the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any of the major ones, we are there. And then, of course, you can get the video feeds or recordings of the show on our YouTube channel. There's a subscribe button or a icon beneath John and beneath that SB Nation icon there. You can click that to subscribe and the bell to be notified when new content is available when we go live. And you can also like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. We stream there. We stream on the Cincy, Cincy Jungle Twitter account. So check it out. We appreciate all of the support. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, John, it seems it's been a while since we've been able to do the little the little teaser here. So here you go. State your case. What you got? So as Lapham did mention, like trading back is definitely in the cards. They've done it for the past five times. It's just in their nature. They like more picks instead of less picks. And I think it's happened so much in recent years just because of the state of the team, not just their overall draft philosophy, but the fact that they needed as many players as possible because they weren't good. They had an awareness of them not being good. And I think this was something that I thought about during free agency. Right now, they're at 64, 65 players. And initially, I expected them to be at a slightly higher number just because they usually have gone up to the 90 player limit in recent years. But again, in recent years, they've been trash. Like they haven't been good. They needed as many bodies as possible to fill out a competent and complete roster. But as we've talked about, they do have a competent and complete roster. Right now they have 65 guys. And I feel like they're in the range of 45 to 48 of them are going to make the team. So there's not a ton of openings as, uh, as far as like camp competitions and, who's going to beat out who it's more just about a, a couple of positions that I feel like, like the starting job is up for grabs, but this team is, is pretty much back from last year. And that team was pretty good. It was pretty balanced and complete. They got rid of a couple of guys that weren't really contributors, but they brought back most, if not all of the main contributors. So I feel like this year trading back still could be an option, but they shouldn't be pressed to do it at all. Because they don't necessarily need more picks. They they have eight right now. If they have eight picks and they have 65 players, that's 73 total players. And I think in the past three years that Zach Taylor's been here, he's brought in almost exactly 10 college free agents in each one of those years. So say that continues again, that's, that's 83 players. So maybe it goes up to 12, right? Say it's 85 players on a team that just went to the Super Bowl, on a team that has 20, 21 of the starters filled out, and most of the reserve role players are still here, where is there room necessarily for 10, 11, or 12 draft picks? Like, I feel like if it goes up to that much, you're cutting at least four or five of them. And even the guys that continue to be on the roster, they're not doing anything this year anyways. And that's mostly the case for most years. But I feel like out of, out of any year where they can be totally fine with having single-digit number of draft picks, or maybe even a year where they trade up and don't trade back, which... Whenever they've traded up in in past drafts, they've usually have traded back beforehand, so they net out to still like a positive increase in total picks. Right. Like, I feel like this is the year where they're completely fine to do that. Not necessarily trade like five or six of your picks and only end up with two or three. No, like they could still use five or six or seven rookies. But out of any year where they don't need to trade back and be, and it won't hurt them, it's definitely this one. Like. And I understand the whole logic. Like you're at the end of the first round. You can trade back into the top of the second round with the team that wants to get back into the first round. I understand that. And if there's an offer there and there's a chance that you still net 
a really good player at the top of the second round, then definitely consider it. But I, I don't foresee even eight rookies making this team. I don't even really foresee five, to be honest with you. And I, I feel like that comes down to what positions that they take. But I really don't feel like they should be pressed at all to trade back. And they don't really have to accept any offer that comes their way because of how set the team is already. So to be clear, you're talking about primarily tra- trading back from the first round into the second yes. round, or are you just talking about the the entire idea of collecting picks well, in general? Probably both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you and I know, I, I know there's this sentiment and this has been something I've always been kind of pounding the table about even in the Marvin Lewis era, but there's a sentiment when there was the rebuild with Zach, you know, you got to get bodies, you got to, you got to fill out this roster a bit. And now they've done a lot more in free agency than they formerly have. They've done a lot more. They've had a lot of good hits in, in recent draft classes. So to me, I'm with you. I I don't, I I've been a proponent to get the quality players or get the, get the players you truly covet and not, not, you know, kind of settle to move back and just get players to get players to, to fill out roster spots and beef up depth in certain areas. I mean, granted, they liked all the picks at the times that they made, and they will always tell you that. But here's, I mean, when you look at the picks that they end up collecting in the middle rounds and the late rounds, they're not, there are very, very few that make sizable impacts as players. I mean, they're just, they end up kind of being just guys, if that. Now, there are exceptions and there are mid-round picks that end up doing pretty well. But, I mean, there's it's it's more there. those are more of the outliers than the trend. And the trend is they like to get more picks. And so what I'm worried about, because this year they do not have the compensatory picks, that they may feel compelled to get more picks because they lost out on that. Right. And they love those compensatory picks that, you know, that's kind of been their thing. And that was always one of the reasons why they were never that aggressive and outside free agency in previous years. But I, so I worry about that a little bit, but I'm with you. I think now, especially as you're coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, the quality over quantity needs to be kind of a priority in this year's class. Right. And and I feel like that's kind of, the general vibe around the league as well, which is funny because like there was a tweet last almost exactly a year ago from Ian Rappaport that said to not expect teams to trade up in the 2021 draft because they view the 22 draft and those picks as like as gold because they were dealing with COVID last year and they weren't sure about a lot of prospects. Now this year, of course, after a year, a lot of things can happen. No one wants to really trade up this year because they there's so much variance in how every team feels about these guys i've heard this a ton just the players ranked from like 10 to 50 all 32 boards probably look completely utterly totally different i don't think there's like a general consensus on how the not top 10 players in this draft are viewed and i feel like that's just the reason why there's not going to be a ton of action in terms of trading up like 2013 that there was a trade back for a quarterback, the Bills traded back for EJ Manuel and took him as the first quarterback taken, like 16th overall. The Rams traded up for Tavon Austin. Not a great move, but I feel like <laughs> that draft is similar to this one, where there's just not a ton of top tier talent, and there's just a there's a lot of differing opinions about everyone else beyond that. So I feel like we might even, we might not even have to discuss this because I'm not even sure 
how much traction there is going to be in terms of teams wanting to trade up with the Bengals in general. And I know they're always going to be interested in it, but again, like this team is set, like you're good to go. Like you need a couple impact rookies. You need a couple of guys that you want to develop for the future, but you don't need a bunch of fifth and sixth round picks like you did in the past. You're good to go. So here I'm going to throw before we get into our mock draft, because this is a good, good, tee up for it but Bubba Bubba in the live chat says trade for James Bradbury upgrades defensive Bryant uh defensive backs etc I'm not saying that situation per se but do you see a, a scenario wherein the Bengals maybe collect some picks and then maybe make a draft day trade for a player or something like that should they lose out on somebody in the in the first couple of rounds so they hoard some of those picks to package them and get a player or something like that I don't know how likely of a scenario that is. I, I don't no. They don't normally do that. Uh, but they also have surprised, I think, a lot of us in their free agency dealings in the past couple of seasons as well. So maybe that's something that they they look at. But I don't uh, I'm not I'm not really seeing whether it's Bradbury or anybody else. I don't know that a player trade is going to be part of the plan this weekend. No, no player trades unless they're getting a player unless they're giving a player in return like think bj hill and no trading up that's never going to be an option like they're going to have eight picks at least i've just i'm not really seeing a trade back in the cards for them and i don't really again i don't really feel like it's necessary but eight picks for sure they of course they do need like depth at some positions as, as well and they have to be thinking about that and that's where those eight picks come into play but again you have to think how many of those eight players are going to make the roster injuries be damned right like you just have mm-hmm. to think about this compared to recent years when they were terrible and they needed depth everywhere they've got a better grip on that now but that doesn't mean they're going to change their philosophies entirely and and go all aggro on it i I don't think that's in the future or in the cards yeah well i i'm I'm in agreement with you on the state your case good job on that and i think i think we'd like to see a little more quality over quantity because of where the Bengals are as a team right now and where they're picking i mean there's just kind of a combination of factors that says you know you got to capitalize the most on your draft positioning and make make the most out of those picks and you know i while you'd maybe like to get another pick or two here and there and, and like you said get a net positive in terms of overall picks i i just uh, i don't know but i i do see them at some point trading back maneuvering around i just that's just what they like they like to do that i don't know that it's going to happen on night one I think it may happen more so night two, maybe even in those middle rounds, those early rounds in in day three that they do that. But that being said, let's get to, I don't know how many picks we're going to be able to get to here, maybe three or four. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to get to seven rounds here. So let's at least get to a handful of picks in our mock draft. Again, last time we did the the mock draft simulator and some of these things, you know, that the rankings aren't properly updated sometimes in terms of what, certain draft Knicks think or what certain people think about players and all that kind of stuff. And also trade scenarios end up biting you like it did to us last time. So we're going, we're going to do something a little different here. We're just going to kind of talk about some of the, the possibilities, the names, and then we'll settle on one going forward. Now here's kind of what we know. First round pick 31. We're not going to do the trade thing unless you, you really want to talk about trading back based on everything we've been talking about with that. But you saw, we, we talked about Albert Breer's, article about cornerback offensive linemen likely being in play whether you want to call that a smoke screen or not at pick 31 then of course you've got uh you know defense interior defensive line that's got to be in the conversation you've got safety at least for the future as a knee that you want to you want to address and then of course maybe a wide receiver with special teams ability 
maybe one of these big punters that are out there late in the draft, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, of course, offensive line in general. What, are the, what does the team want to do there? But at 31, where are you starting to lean and where would you go if you're the Bengals based on visits they've they've talked they've announced or you know that that's been known and the trends that they've that they've shown and like i said the nine of 19 past drafts going either cornerback offensive line i just i just think this is a corner unless someone really obvious falls i don't know like i know lapham mentioned uh, george Karloftis, who like every year there's a guy that the media just gets late word on oh he's quote unquote falling which means that the media is just now hearing that the NFL is not as high on him compared to right. what other experts and analysts are. But I feel like Carl Loftus would be like an obvious choice if he's if he's there, just like he's plays with his hair on fire, which is what they loved about Osai last year. He, was, he it just passes all the, the production and athleticism thresholds. He's from Purdue, so I'm sure Anna Ruma would love to use his connections there. But I, I don't. I feel like it's, I guess it's 50-50 that he's there, but let's just operate under the assumption that he's not just because there's there's a lot of teams that could take him and he's in the consensus, like in the teens and the rankings. So I think it's going to be a corner, honestly. And I really do feel like like Elam and, and Booth are the two most likely choices. It's just that with Booth, it makes a lot of sense why he would not be picked early just because he didn't test and that he's got a history of injuries, but he doesn't seem to be mocked outside of the first round very often. So I feel like just because you got the Cardinals, you got the the Titans, you got the Bills, you got the Chiefs all picking in front of the Bengals, they all need cornerbacks. I feel like one of them is probably going to take Booth. And I feel like Elam is still not quite a consensus first-round player. So unless if there's not a, an obvious choice there, Booth is gone, I feel like Elam is where I would lean just because he's a corner. And I feel like everything about Kyrie Elam, the fact that he was raised by an NFL player, he's... The, the nephew of another NFL player named Matt Elam, who was a first round pick yep. by the Ravens, I think 10 years ago, just, yep. you know, raised, raised that weight. Like the Florida coaches love him and his work ethic was really productive as a freshman and sophomore. Then he suffered an injury as a junior and had his worst year, which is why he would be available here. And I feel like they value the fact that he was that productive and that effective as an underclassman comes in at 20 years old, may, may not be picture perfect, ready to start immediately, but that's why they have Eli Apple, but a guy who can also develop into a future number one cornerback, which is what they should be thinking about. So I feel like Elam would be the pick if Booth is not there, and I'm more leaning that Booth is not going to be there. When you look at when you look at trends and when you look at what the team has done, you look at some of the history, you look at the positions they value in the first round. A lot of people like Logan Hall and Travis Jones, and you know, and for good reason, and possibilities at number 31. I think you've said on this show. And because you're the resident smart guy here, I haven't I haven't wanted to oh, back please. up your work, but I think I think you had said that what was I mean you can call David Pollock I guess a defensive lineman if you want to go there, but Justin Smith wasn't he one of the last uh, yeah. defensive linemen the Bengals drafted very high in in you know the the first round they draft quarterbacks they draft offensive linemen they draft cornerbacks that's that's where they like to go and so. You know, I don't as much as the interior defensive line seems to be one of their biggest needs right now. I can see them waiting until rounds two, three, and four, where recent history tells us that's where they like to draft. You can go 
Devin Still, Brandon Thompson in the draft a handful of years ago. You can go Pat Sims a while ago. Geno Atkins was a fourth round pick. You can go Carlos Dunlap, edge guy that was a second round pick. I mean, that it, it seems like night two is where they would like to go, maybe even, and then add on top of that, day three for an interior defensive lineman, edge rusher. That's just, that, that's kind of what they do. Yeah. And so they value corner. And I'm with you on those two names. I, if I were to narrow it down now, I think one of the guys I, all week I've been feeling Kyler Gordon. Uh, that's the guy I've been. I, I think that he plays. He could play. He could play inside immediately, where you can groom him to be a cornerback. He can help you out on the outside because he did both. You can let Eli Apple kind of start the season there if there are struggles, or if you really like what you're seeing from Gordon, he can maybe ease into a starting role later on in the year. But I, I've, I've been really high on Kyler Gordon. Something tells me that the Baltimore Ravens are going to be all over him though. But I think, I think Kyler Gordon makes a lot of sense for the Bengals, but if not, they have met with Andrew Booth. So that would be, that would be the other guy that I think would make a lot of sense for the Bengals. If you're reading the smoke signals. Right. I mean, and it does make sense. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like if, if Elam, doesn't go to the Bengals, he might just fall out of the first round entirely just because really it's just about what have you done for me lately and his injury that he suffered in the middle of last season just Florida falling apart it didn't really do him any favors but you look at what he did as a freshman like Derek Stingley took the world by storm but Elam was right there and I feel like they they really would value that so let's talk about um, options in round two now because at that point cornerback is secured you don't have to worry about maybe a drop-off in, in quality and depth in, in the class in general. But now you, you have a potential hole at defensive tackle at three technique. And there, there could be a situation where there might not be a, a guy there. Like you have guys who are projected like Logan Hall, Travis Jones, DeMarvin De Leal, uh, Perry on Winfrey. I believe out of those four guys, they brought in Hall and Winfrey for visits. And I feel like the most likely to be available is Winfrey, uh, the mm -hmm. defensive tackle out of Oklahoma, very similar athlete, I think, to Larry Ogunjobi. I think another guy that that Lapa mentioned as not not a guy in the second round, but as a guy that if they traded back from thirty one, he would be in that conversation. But I also think, like the more I think about it, may, maybe the, maybe they would take an offensive lineman in the second or maybe even third round just to compete with Jackson Carmen. They only have like three guards on the roster right now. And if they don't view Smith long term as a guard, even though he might still be in that competition there, like maybe they would want to take a guy in the second round to compete with Carmen. And you have guys like Parnum and Cole Strange, a guy from Chattanooga with center versatility. Like I feel like those guys could be in the conversation, but I just look at that whole Anthony defensive tackle. And if a guy like Winfrey is there with that pass rushing potential, just because he's not an all around player right now, I don't foresee him going much earlier than this, but feel like Winfrey makes a lot of sense for what they're looking for and and just who he is as a player it makes sense of why he would be here that's yeah and I, I mean as much as I think everybody would say hey you know Logan Hall Logan Hall Logan Hall Logan Hall and as much as I'm going against my own advice that I give other people uh I you know it just doesn't seem like he will be there um at that point right. so I think I think again, if you're reading the tea leaves and you're looking at who the Bengals have met with and the due diligence they have done at that position, that makes a, a lot of sense um, in, in terms of Perry and Winfrey being the the pick here. The one thing I wonder about, 
And I don't, you know, this position's kind of all over the board here. What, what about tackle? Um, because it, there, there seems to be some some players out there and that'll go definitely in round one. I'm just, I know they got Leo Collins. I know they have uh, Jonah Williams. They're mulling the, uh, they're mulling over if they want to do the fifth year option on, on Jonah. They haven't committed to that yet. Um, and so I don't, you know, you've got Jackson Carmen there who may be, you know, tackle waiting in the wings, but also maybe in the guard, you know what I'm saying? I, there's there is that a position maybe that we're talking interior offensive line because they need more help there potentially but is tackle something that they look at offensive tackle in this round or is that maybe put that off and have a developmental guy later in the in the draft so i think it's it's fascinating to to think about like i just look at this class it's like so top heavy it's not even funny it is. like you got equano evan neal charles cross they're all going to be top 10 picks uh trevor right. penning probably going in the in the first round even though he might not be completely ready to start and that could be the same for bernard raymond who paul alexander also really praised it's like being really coachable like all five of those guys mm-hmm. can go in the first round and then there's tyler smith the guy from tulsa who people think is more of a guard maybe he could also sneak into the first round after that it seems like there's a big drop off i I did read on twitter that nicholas petit fury fury the guy from ohio state it's like projected yeah, yeah. Or he's like ranked as like a fourth or fifth round pick. He could maybe sneak into the first round if he's there in the second round. Like, did the Bengals do they want to go down that Ohio State offensive lineman path again for a guy who's also kind of a waste bender? I don't know. It just seems like for what this class is, it, it, like there doesn't seem to be a, a guy in the second or third who's probably like at the top of their board or in that group of players there. So uh, I, I can see the logic. I'm, I'm just not sure that the guy's going to fall there. You know. Yeah, and there's also the big the big boy Falele, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I you know, is he a second round guy or is he more like an Orlando Brown and end up going third, fourth round type of thing? You know, uh, who, who knows here. It sounds like though we've we're in agreement corner and since we both mentioned his name, it looks like maybe Andrew Booth, especially with with the visit there that they and the interest they've shown there, maybe that's the front runner for us in this mock. And then second round Perry and Winfrey, the interior defensive lineman with the second round pick. Where are we going third round, John? I don't know, man. Like, I feel like at this point, it really opens up. Like, you have safety, you got tight end. You could even have receiver here, honestly, if you're thinking long term, but also offensive line as well. Um, I feel like all of those are in play. I, I, I just think about, like, how they've attacked tight end in the past when they've needed one. Not necessarily immediately, but just in general when the the roster says that it's not that strong of a position and you, you need guys for the future like it, it feels like they haven't really hesitated to address that spot and the third round seems like the beginning of where you would want to address it in this class like you have trey mcbride and greg dulcich who could be second round picks but no one in front of them and even picking one of them at, at 63 you might you might not be taking advantage of the class and the depth in general so i feel like the third again there's a lot of positions there but i feel like tight end is where i would guess i don't i don't think they're going to go defense 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 back to back to back i don't need like an offensive player is going to be taken sometime on day two and it very well could be an offensive lineman um in fact i, I would say offensive lineman is like the second most likely but i feel like tight end makes some sense here just to groom 
a long-term replacement for either Hayden Hurst or Drew Sample. I feel like not both of them are coming back and get, giving the offense maybe more like in case Hayden Hurst moves on, making sure that you still have a guy that can attack vertically, basically the anti-Drew Sample here. Um, a guy that I feel like makes sense is Jeremy Ruckert out of Ohio State just because he's he's young. There's athletic traits that you like, but you don't know about because he didn't test. And he was so hidden in that Ohio State offense because they had just oodles of talent at receiver. And I all, I'm always wary of that. Like guys who don't produce in college very rarely produce at a high level in the NFL. It's, that's just what the data tells us. But there's definitely a chance that he can produce in a bigger role just because of the athlete that he is. And he could definitely still grow as an athlete in general. And they love Ohio State guys. They have connections there. It feels like a team is going to take a chance on him just because he didn't show that much in college. And they might, you know, vet whoever they trust in regards to Ohio State to make sure that, you know, he fits the athletic profile that they want. He fits, you know, everything else. Like he's a willing blocker. He was great with the coaches and whatnot. So a guy that is not really ready to contribute now, but I feel like long term can take the spot of either Sample or Hurst and just checks a lot of boxes, I guess. One guy that is that's a good that's a good idea, both position and player. I don't know if this guy would be I, I feel like he might be a little bit of a reach at this point in the third round, but one guy they have shown interest in and has been getting a little bit of buzz is Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina, a guy that yep. um, you know, kind of scored a ton of touchdowns. Doesn't have the greatest RAS profile, uh, especially for being a tiny. He's not like, you know, the 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guy. He's like 6'4", I think. Um, so his RAS profile isn't that great. I think he's, yeah, it's a 4'8", four, 4'. Four. Um, he's got elite explosion grades, though, John, on the RAS. Okay speed, um, 4.8, 40-yard dash, and but poor agility. So it's kind of, it's like okay size grade. I guess I could share this with folks here. I'm reading it and I'm being selfish <laughs> and not sharing it with folks. Um, so I, you know, it's it's kind of a this is this is one that puzzles me. I think he would be a reach at this point, but it's a guy they have shown interest in in pre-draft visits. When you look at this, there's the 484. I say a likely is one guy that I think could be in there. And then the other thing, just pass catchers in general, maybe a wide receiver, maybe someone who can give you some return ability. I don't know exactly who that is. One guy that a lot of people like, including Pro football focus as a wide receiver, complete opposite in terms of size profile of a tight end position. Um, that is uh, Calvin Austin, the third out of Memphis, a guy who is five, eight um, and, and really small, but actually you look at that, you go slot receiver for sure. But he actually played a lot outside, ran a sub four, four forty, And I think it was actually four, three, two. I'd have to go back and look very, very fast guy has some, he has two punt return touchdowns and very limited opportunities at Memphis. So maybe that's a guy PFF called him the mid their mid round steal in terms of wide receiver prospects in this class, because a lot of people will be turned off by his size, but he's got speed, some returnability. Again, I think third is too, too early for him. I will go with you said, maybe, uh, maybe it's Ruckert out of Ohio state, but uh, the, the guys that I kind of looked at in terms of the mid rounds, the third through fifth, and ones that maybe you can connect at least a dot with Isaiah likely being a guy that the Bengals uh, did some, did some pre-draft work with. Maybe that's a guy who fits in here too. Yeah. In regards to Austin, I feel like that's the key for receivers. It's not just guys who can contribute on kickoff or punt teams It's a guy who can return as well. Like they're looking for an all around receiver, a guy who can, who is obviously active on game days. If he has that uh, return ability and, and Austin might be a little bit, 
too small to be drafted that high for, for their standards. But you're, I think you're definitely looking at a guy who either has the capability to return or who has plenty of experience of doing so in college. So I think, I mean, we've given a number of names and ones that we like. If you and I were to come to a consensus consensus here based on, again, positional need for the team, who they've shown pre-draft interest in and and whatnot, you've got probably an Andrew, some combination. It sounds like where we kind of intersected there was Andrew Booth out of Clemson, the corner. Um, but him, Kyer Elam, maybe Kyler Gordon if he is there. And then... Um, uh, Perry and Winfrey, the interior defensive lineman in the back of the second round for the Bengals there. They also showed some interest there. And then tight end Jeremy Ruckert out of Ohio State, a guy that uh, you know can maybe do some good things for them in this offense. I don't know if we have time for a fourth rounder here, but if you want to maybe just give some spots from there that the Bengals would yeah. look at, I would assume at this point it has to be offensive line and safety if you take care of those three check boxes at the top of the class here. You know, we, we could just name like a couple names that could be day three targets. So for, for me, like I look at Cade Mays, an offensive lineman out of Tennessee. He was a really highly recruited guy. And most importantly, played, I think, both left guard and right guard for Tennessee. Played like three or four years. It was pretty decent, but just not that exciting of an athlete. Doesn't really have a lot of perceived upside with him. So I honestly have no idea when, when they're going to take an offensive lineman. It could be as early as, as the second round. Could be as late as the seventh. I feel like they're going to draft probably one, though, and I feel like Mays fits in that fifth to sixth range and just the versatility. We've talked about it ad nauseum. The more you can do, the more valuable you are to a guy like Frank Pollock and Zach Taylor in general, a guy who may not be able to compete for a starting job this year, but just a guy who can have depth as well. And for receiver, I, I kind, of, kind of like Bo Melton out of Rutgers. He was so valuable to that offense. He didn't return much, but when he did, he was pretty good at it. So the offense ran through him a lot. He's not terribly big. At, he's like 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, 190 pounds, but really fast. Again, really productive out of Rutgers. So maybe a guy in like the fourth round, if that's like their sweet spot. I believe Duke Tobin mentioned that he brought up like Marvin Jones's name. He's a guy that they've had success with finding a late round receiver. I feel like that's the mold that they might be looking for now, but a guy who can also return. So in that fourth to fifth round, fifth round range Bo Melton out of Rutgers makes a lot of sense to me okay I mentioned one wide receiver that uh, could be um, an, an interesting guy for them um, you know you also look at if you're talking about guys who maybe have a tiny bit of, of punt returns and I, I hate to go to the pack pack 12 well here but there is a guy who um, at UCLA uh, Kyle Phillips, um, a, a guy who averaged as his career punt returns, 19.3 yards per punt return and two career punt return touchdowns. Um, you know, if you're looking for that special teams ability, that may be a guy late. And then of course, uh, his name escapes me, but the kid out of university of, uh, was it Northern Iowa? Um, the big athletic kid that, that has a lot of, that they met with here. It's on Cincy jungle. Yeah. I'll have to pull up, um, I'll have to pull up his name, probably an undrafted, maybe a sixth, seventh round flyer type of guy, but, um, he's, he's one to look out for as well. I would think that the Bengals, they may surprise us in terms of how high they go with a wide receiver, but I think that there's probably going to be a couple within rounds, I would say from rounds, potentially three, I don't think they're going to go that high, but potentially four through seven, you may see, you may see a couple in there. It'd be really, really cool. If the Bengals drafted the Bearcat, they haven't done it in a while. Like, there's going to be a Bearcat drafted in the first round for the first time since the Bengals did it with Greg Cook in 1970 or whenever. They have like nine, eight guys who are drafted uh, or who are likely to be drafted. 
Curtis Brooks would be really cool in the fifth or sixth round, but it's always tricky with guys who aren't invited to the combine. He's also 24 years old, but just passes everything that you'd look for in a guy who's consistent. It's a great pass rusher. He was used as this heads up nose tackle in their three, three, five scheme. But I think a guy that can offer a lot as a backup and as a role player reserve, I don't know when you would draft him. I, I, again, I don't know when these guys who aren't invited to the combine go, but he's a super senior as well. So fifth, sixth, maybe he lasts the seventh round. Be really cool to add depth to that defensive line room for sure. Well, I know you got to get out of here. That's kind of a little bit of a mock draft slash mock draft options for the Bengals for through the first handful of rounds and names to watch. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Just a little bit different from those mock draft simulators. We're going to do a quick remember when as part of my portion of the mic drop as well. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because a lot of people know this story by now that, you know, a lot of people remember it and it's brought up a lot this time of year as it goes with the Cincinnati Bengals. And this is John, what if the Bengals had accepted the saints trade offer in 1999 <laughs> and you look at old Achilles Smith, there, Bengals took him uh, top five in that year's class in the Cincinnati Bengals. You can see here, the Bengals passed up the opportunity to move back to the saints 12th overall pick in exchange for nine New Orleans draft picks nine. And of course that class was just, there was a lot of big names in that class, be it a quarterback, Ricky Williams, all kinds of, you know, I mean, there was McNabb, there was Cade McNown, Achilles Smith, Tim couch. I mean, the names were all Edger and James, I think was in that class too. I mean, so there was just a lot of big, big names, but the Bengals, if you remember around this time of year, they had an opportunity to get a haul from the New Orleans Saints. Mike Dicka was ready to move up and do everything he could to get to that pick, grab Ricky Williams and give the Bengals nine draft picks. And instead the Bengals stayed put and took Achilles Smith. And I think we know, unfortunately, how that all played out. Well, I feel like that is the perfect example that anyone could have gone to when talking about, are the Bengals going to trade back with the Dolphins instead of taking Joe Burrow? Like if Mike Brown wasn't going to do that with Achilles Smith, he definitely wasn't going to do that with Joe Burrow. But it yeah. also could have been something like, you know what, maybe this trade back thing isn't too bad. Maybe that's why they started doing so, doing more of that yeah. when Duke Tobin kind of got influenced. But my God, man, how much different is the fran would the franchise have been if that had happened? Like with like they only had to hit on like two or three of them, right? For it to be successful. Yeah, I, you would think. Yeah, you would think. But I pinned the article there. We're running a little up on time, so I won't go into too much detail. A lot of people know about that story at this point anyway now, but you can go and read that article in the uh, in the pinup there or on cincyjungle.com. It's pretty interesting. And SB Nation a couple of years ago kind of did a video on that too, which was kind of kind of neat. So check that out. And uh, remember when the Bengals passed up nine draft picks for from the New Orleans Saints and stayed put to draft Achilles Smith. And my how things have changed from this point, from that point to this point. Jeez. Yeah, my mic drop is um, nothing really. The Bengals, I feel like <laughs> in recent years, there's always just one one polarizing pick, and it's usually happened in the second round with the Bengals traded back. You got your Drew Samples. You got your Jackson Carmens. Don't be completely shocked if that happens again, but if you want to unleash your rage and um, dread on the internet, you can always do so at cincyjungle.com because we will be recapping Every single one of the Bengals, eight, nine, ten, whatever, however many picks that they have with quick analysis and everything that you could possibly want 
regarding the Bengals draft. So again, keep it locked into cincyjungle.com. Do it. We're going to bring you a lot of stuff there and on this show both. So check it out. We're excited about this weekend. The Bengals have a big week ahead, a big weekend ahead, just a couple days away. Thanks for tuning in to the special day and time of the live recording of the Orange and Black Insider. Get it on your favorite platform, whether it's on the audio side, the video side. Subscribe, leave us a review, do all the stuff you got to do to keep this show rolling on. We appreciate all the support. John, enjoy this week. I know it's going to be a lot of work, but it should be a lot of fun too. My week. Enjoy your week, man. Even Las Vegas. (laughs) All right. That's right. That's right. I should have played some Elvis in or out of the show, the intro or outro, but I didn't. Anyway, take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.